this series on Genesis is the highlights of the book of Genesis. Uh, that's what we would call a highlight. <laughs> In fact, uh, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and his sons, uh, the 12 sons of Jacob, are really the subject of chapter 12 to chapter 50, the rest of the book. Chapters 1 to 11 is almost an introduction to Abraham and his descendants. So we have to give due time if we're to understand the Bible itself and Abraham in particular. Just a, a quick review from last week. We said that Abraham was actually originally called Abram, but he's from uh, what is modern-day Iraq called in chapter 11, verse 31. It says he, they set out from Ur, U-R, Ur of the Chaldeans, which uh, Chaldea, if you look at the map, you'll find that Babylon and Chaldeans are very close. Chaldeans are closer to the Persian Gulf, but they're all part of modern-day Iraq. And Babylon is in Iraq, not far from the largest city of Iraq. What is the largest city in Iraq? Baghdad. Baghdad, thank you. It's good to have a scholar in residence. <laughs> um, Babylon is near Baghdad, modern-day Baghdad. And so um, this is where Abraham came from. Abraham is Iraqi. That disturbed some people. Nonetheless, you have to deal with it. But he originally, he's from Iraq and crossed the Euphrates River. Hebrew, a Hebrew means one from across the river. And Babylon, or Babel, is also the place in Genesis 11 where God stepped in and destroyed their unity. They were trying to build a civilization and a city and a tower and a civilization without God. So God stepped in and scattered them with different languages. And the reason is because he doesn't want a kingdom that is not the kingdom of Christ. He has his own kingdom. And so he will disperse man-made kingdoms. So uh, God comes to Abraham after everybody's been dispersed. Abraham is probably one of the people in that chapter 11 Babel or Babylon uh, building enterprise. And it says in Hebrews 11, when God spoke to him, it says, Hebrews 11, 8, that by faith Abraham was called to a place that he would later receive as an inheritance. He obeyed and went, though he did not know where he was going. And Galatians 3, 7, we are to understand that those who believe, they are believers in Christ, that they are children of Abraham. Ultimately, 
uh, since Christ is a descendant of Abraham and we are believers in Christ, we belong to Christ, then we are the seed of Abraham. So we're going to look at uh, three things here in chapter 12. First is the blessing of the believer, the blessing of faith in verse 2 and 3. Then we'll look at the failure of his faith, starting down in verse 10. And then we'll look at the recovery of his faith, which starts in chapter 12, verse 17, and goes to the first few verses of chapter 13. So let's just walk through this uh, three things, the blessing, the failure, and the recovery. First, the blessing of his faith. Chapter 12, verse 2. I will make you into a great nation, God said to him. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, verse 3. Whoever curses you, I will curse and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. Bless or blessing is used five times in these two verses. So what does it mean to be blessed? Now if we're, as Galatians 3, 9 puts it, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham, the man of faith. So if we who are of faith in Christ, faith in God, if we're to be blessed, what does that mean? This uh, past week, we had the youth evangelism conference uh, where teenagers from all over the state would gather at, at uh, one of our churches, Westside Church, over in Flushing. And uh, we prayed for blessing on our young people, that they would be blessed. What did we pray? We meant uh, inspired, built up protected, one of them lost their tennis racket, next day they found it, that's blessed, we, we pray blessed means nobody would be hurt in coming or going, um, that it would be successful, and uh, we had 50 teenagers just from our congregation, just our two churches. Uh, and we had conversions, professions of faith in Christ, which I praise God for that. We'll follow up on that. But to be blessed means all of these things. Those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham. So what did God mean with Abraham? He meant, I'm going to produce a great nation. I'm going to give you, you're going to have a family. At this point, he had no children. I'm going to give you a family. Um, you're going to experience God's protection. Whoever curses you, I will curse, and who blesses you, I will bless, verse 3. In other words, God will treat people the way they treat you. You will be a standard and a lightning rod. Um, and when you look at the blessing that came on Abraham and his, and his descendants, he had Isaac, and then he had his grandson was Jacob. 
whose name was changed to Israel. He had 12 sons. One was named Judah, from which our word Jew comes. And when you look at the blessing on the Jews, you find, for example, that a great many, I thought only 1% of of the world population is Jewish, but they have about 20 to 30% of the discoveries. They uh, found treatments for leukemia. They discovered vitamins, antibiotics, vaccines for polio, uh, aspirin, heart pacemakers, calculators, ballpoint pens, shopping carts, condoms. I mean, praise God for the Jews. And how about weather radar, Duracell batteries, PayPal, Facebook, Zuckerberg is Jewish. These are just a few, uh, and and we haven't even touched things uh, like the entertainment and the arts, music. But, But by far, the great discoveries and advancements in medicine and science have come from the seed of Abraham. Now, I want to add once again and give me Galatians 3 29 up there. Can you give me that one? Um, if you belong to Christ, you are the seed of Abraham. So, how should we, even though we're Gentile blood, in Christ. See, when you come to Christ, you are one with him. And he is from the tribe of Judah, who is from his father Jacob, who is from Isaac, who is from Abraham. And you are one with him, therefore you are in the line of the Abrahamic blessing. So you should be... um, entrepreneurial, creative, effective, a problem-solving, freedom-loving, impactful person as you follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me add this verse, Luke 13, 16. Give me that. Jesus comes across a lady who's been bent over from for 18 years. And he's going to heal her, and the Pharisees object, and they say, you shouldn't heal her because it's the Sabbath. He does it anyway, because he doesn't consider healing a, a work. And he comes to this woman, and he, te- he heals her, and he turns to the Pharisees and says, should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham whom Satan has bound these 18 years. Should not she be free and loosed on the Sabbath day? His argument is twofold. One, Sabbath is 
a good day to heal people. But his main argument is, she's a daughter of Abraham. Shouldn't she be free? Shouldn't she? She's the seed of Abraham. Shouldn't she walk erect? Shouldn't she be loose from her bondage? Shouldn't she be free from Satan's dominion? Absolutely. And I get the feeling that for some of us, and I've had my years in it too, that we have lived beneath the privilege of the being the seed of Abraham through Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.29, once again, you're the seed of Abraham if you belong to Christ. Therefore, shouldn't this son or daughter of Abraham be free? Yes, you should be. It's your privilege to be. You're heirs of the promise, he says. Now, I'll just add this. Um, the blessing comes, the blessing on Abraham and his seed. Uh, in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples or all nations will be blessed through you. The purpose of God's blessings is to be a blessing to others. All peoples will be blessed through you. That's the whole reason behind the blessing. So, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. From the Levite, son Levi, comes Moses, who gave us the Ten Commandments and wrote the first five books of the Bible. Well, that's a blessing to all nations. And from Judah comes David and Solomon who wrote Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. From Benjamin came the Apostle Paul. He's a descendant of Benjamin. And can you imagine a New Testament without Paul? And all those epistles? Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, and Ephesians, and Philippians, and on. All of that is, is in seed form within Abraham and Sarah. And it was to come forth and be a blessing to the nations, which it has done so. So we can pray with Psalm 67... Verse 1, may God be gracious to us and bless us. And why? Verse 2, so that your ways may be known upon the earth. See, so ask God for blessings. There's nothing wrong for asking God to bless you, to bless your family, bless you financially, to bless you physically, to bless you in every way, to give you mental health, emotional good health to give you peace in your home, to give you a happy marriage. Why? Bless me, O oh God. Why? And he gives it to us in, in Psalm 67. He says, God, be gracious and bless us. Make your face shine upon us 
so your ways will be known on the earth, so that people will come to know God because they've known me. Can I get an amen, somebody? Come on, church. We're, we're digging in some soft ground. We're plowing next to the corn here this morning. Amen. Blessed, not cursed. All right, let's look at the failure of his faith. Because this is all well and good, you know, but man. Chapter 12, verse 10. Now there's a famine in the land. Oh, the economy is hurt. Gas prices went up and some banks are failing and we're scared. There's a famine in the land. So what did Abraham do? Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. All right, honestly, I don't necessarily see anything, any red lights flashing at this point. I don't see God saying, don't do that. Uh, uh, it, it's a little bit iffy, but... Here's where it gets, goes downhill fast. Verse 11. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. It's a good thing to say to your wife. So far, you're still batting a hundred. <coughs> or no, a thousand. Yeah, most of us bat a hundred. <laughs> we want to bat a thousand. He says... You're a beautiful woman. So, verse 12, when the Egyptians see you, they'll say, uh, this is his wife, and then they'll kill me, but will let you live. Say you're my sister. See, the older brother was responsible for the younger sister like a father in the absence of the father. So that meant they would have to come to him. So he's, he's trying to protect, in a, in a sense, is, is what I would read into it, but that might just be reading into it. But he says, so when officials saw her, verse 15, they praised her to Pharaoh. She's uh, quite a few years younger than Abraham. And she was taken into his palace. Okay, now there's the problem. Uh, I don't see Abraham putting up a defense. Look at verse 16. He treated Abraham well for her sake, that is, uh, Pharaoh did. And Abraham acquired sheep and cattle and male and female donkeys and servants and camels. Paid him off. I don't see Abraham saying, oh man, I... Uh, they are walking away with his wife, Sarah, and maybe he's thinking, I should say something. But then along comes Pharaoh's wagon full of goodies, and a servant has, uh, Abraham, you, want, you like this camel? We got you three of them right here, ready to donate to your cause, because uh, we're taking Sarah. He doesn't evidently utter a peep. 
Must have been some mighty fancy camels. So I see his lying. I see his apathy. And I'm wondering, is all this faith talk gone forever? Is Sarah now engulfed in the harem of Pharaoh? It appears so. And you have to remember what we just said about everything that is in within Abraham and Sarah. They're going to have Isaac and Jacob, the grandson with the 12 tribes, and out of there Moses and the apostle Paul, even the 12, the 12 apostles, which means the church is at stake here. Why do you think he includes this? God wants you to see what's at stake here. How a, a little sin is not so little in the light of eternity in history. There is no little sin. This was, I, I mean, maybe this wasn't a little sin. He, he did kind of pimp out his wife. He took money to be quiet. But here's, here's the thing. Within this decision and within this sin is the jeopardizing of the very instrument through which God will save the world, which is the Messiah. The Messiah comes from the tribe of Judah, which was a great-grandson of Abraham. If Abraham and Sarah, if Sarah is lost, God's promises in Genesis 12, 1 to 3 is, is done for. So what now? This jeopardizing of the souls. And, and by the way, we wouldn't be here today if this had taken place. If God had just let it happen. Because we're rooted in the Old Testament scriptures and the Messiah himself who is Jesus. And so there would be no church. So what did God do? Let's talk about the recovery of his faith. Look in uh, chapter 12 and verse 17. If you're so inclined, I would, and do this sort of thing in your Bible, I would underline verse, chapter 12, verse 17, the first three words. But the Lord. But the Lord. If it wasn't for the Lord, you remember when Jonah ran from God's will, got in a boat to flee the will of God, and but the Lord sent a storm. And then he confessed to the sailors, if you get rid of me, the storm will cease, but it's about me, and throw me overboard. He, he had given up. Get rid of me. So they threw him in the sea, and he said, my life is done. I'm over. But, it says, but the Lord raised up a fish. Huh. Hadn't thought of that. Intervention. The mysterious ways of God. Remember Ephesians 2? 
you who were dead in trespasses and sins, walking in the course of this world and indulging the flesh. But the Lord raised us up. Intervention. So here is Sarah ensconced in the harem of the Egyptian Pharaoh, Abraham taking care of his camels and watering his donkeys in apathy. And it seems like the promises are over, but the Lord intervention. The Lord, the Lord did not leave it this way. Genesis 12, 17, but the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with severe plagues because of Abraham's wife Sarah. And Pharaoh sent for Abram and said, What have you done to me? Get your wife and get out of here. Ever since you've come into this house and I took your, your sister, uh, every bad thing that could possibly happen has started to happen. Everything's coming unraveled here in Egypt and we're all sick and dying and diseased. And, and it started the day we brought her in here. Now here she is. Here's your camels and donkeys. Now get out of Egypt and don't come back. God delivered Abraham. The recovery of his faith is not three steps Abraham took, but one thing that his God did. He intervened on his behalf and saved him out of trouble he got himself into. How many of our problems are self-produced? Listen, if God did not save us from our own stupidity, we would all be lost. Listen to 2 Timothy 2.13. If we believe not, that is, if our faith fails, He remains faithful. He cannot deny himself, his own promises, his own statements. Faith in God, when you come to Christ, it means you are trusting him not only for your past sins to be forgiven, but for your future sins to be dealt with in his providence and wisdom. You, when you come to Christ, you are saying, His grace is greater than my sin, and I am not going based on my promises to Him, but I, my salvation rests on His promises to me. You might say, well, isn't that the Baptist doctrine of once saved, always saved? You know what? I don't know. You call it whatever you want to. I'll tell you this, as a, as a man who's now over 70, I can tell you that if God had not been faithful when I was unfaithful, I wouldn't be here this morning. You call that whatever you want. I call it grace. I call this God faithful, and I write myself off as the producer or the cooperator with the grace of God. I am the recipient. 
of a mysterious mercy that I cannot explain to you, but I can experience and testify to it. Glory to God. Now let's just let's leave the tags off of all this. And let's just know we need a God who is faithful to us and is not going to wait on us to extricate ourselves from the problems we have caused, but He will step in and rescue and deliver us uh, with a deliverance that only He can produce. Now, let me add this to the recovery of his faith. Look at chapter 13 in verse 1. So Abraham went up from Egypt. He just took Sarah, and now they're going back out of Egypt to the Negev, which is Canaan, with his wife and everything he had, and Lot was with him, and Abraham had become very wealthy. He kept all his money. Pharaoh's just glad to get rid of him. Keep your money. He was wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. And from there, verse 3, he went from place to place till he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been where he first built an altar. And there he called on the name of the Lord. He first built an altar in chapter 12, and you'll see it in chapter 12 and verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I'll give you this land. So he built an altar. It's the first thing he did in the land. Now he's back in the land in chapter 13 and verse 4. He went to the place where he first built that altar. And there again he calls on the name of the Lord. So he's been recovered. He's back in faith, back to praying, back to worship. I didn't read about any altars while he's down in Egypt. I don't read about him even praying to God. So, if you will notice, um, in the Exodus, the book of Exodus, when God comes to Moses and, and the children of Israel, What are they doing down in Egypt that Moses has to lead them out? How did they get there? You remember in the last chapters of Genesis, there was a famine under Joseph, and Joseph was sold into slavery, so Joseph distributed bread throughout all the world. There was a famine, and that caused them to go down into Egypt to be with Joseph to get food. And do you also remember that when they got to Egypt, at first they were received by Pharaoh, then Pharaoh turned against them, and Pharaoh and and Egypt was plagued with ten plagues and great judgments. And do you remember they came out with great wealth? Exodus 12, 35 says they spoiled the Egyptians. Do you remember that? And then what did they do with Exodus 25.1? They established a place of worship by building the tabernacle. In other words, what happened to Abraham here in Genesis 12 is a foreshadowing of what happened to the whole nation of Israel in the book of Exodus. Abraham goes down because of the famine. 
at first he's treated well by Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh is struck with plagues. He receives a lot of wealth and comes out a wealthy man and establishes worship once again as you see in Exodus 13. So Abraham is a prototype as we looked last Sunday, not only of our conversion to Christ, but our return from backsliding. He's a picture of not only how to get in to the kingdom and how to find the Lord, basically God found him, but then when you've slidden back, that how does God restore us? And it's a, it's a wonderful, gracious act of a merciful God. So let me just close with these thoughts. If you're a true believer, you cannot backslide successfully. Remember, we're the seed of Abraham, Galatians 3.29. If we're a believer in Christ, we're his children. God treats us like he did him. So if you're a believer in Christ, God does not let us backslide successfully. He does not let us go beneath the surface of the Egyptian waves to be lost forever. Nope. He reaches down, he intervenes, and disturbs circumstances and brings us back. Number two, you can end up better off after you're backsliding than before. I know some people say, once you backslide, there's always going to be scars and, and there's always going to be issues. And in many cases, that is so. But with Abraham, when he came back to Canaan, rebuilt that altar, he was richer, humbler, and I think more thankful than he'd ever been in his life. Now, I ain't saying go backslide. I'm just saying Abraham come out looking and smelling like a rose. Now, my encouragement here is if you're backslidden, Get up and get. let God have his way in your life. Return to the altar of God because you, God can bless you more than you've ever dreamed of being blessing. Don't hang on to guilt from the past. Abraham, it says in chapter 13, verse 2, he had become very wealthy. Where? Down in Egypt. And lot livestock and silver and gold. Number here's the third thing. We who are the older Christians, we ought to shout louder, jump higher, praise more than these young teenager Christians. You know why? We've seen some answered prayers in our day. We are a testimony to the fact that God did not let us go. Man, we've got some deliverance stories that we could share. These young people, they don't know nothing. <laughs> wait, till, wait till 
50 years have passed and you have seen God faithfully rescue from every idiotic decision you've ever made and you stand on that day praising Him and deliverance. <laughs> here's, here's Psalm 124, verse 1. If it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, they would have swallowed us up alive. In verse 6, Psalm 124, verse 6, Bless be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth, We've escaped. See, that's an old person testimony right there. We escaped. We have, a, we have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowler. The snare's broken, and we escaped. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. We escaped. This is good place to give a tithe right here so we'll we'll call our ushers up and let's let's worship with our giving this morning heavenly father there are not enough songs to sing at what you have done to save us from our past sins and to praise you for the promise that you will save us from our future sins. We come before you this morning as a people who have escaped and say to the next generation if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, they would have swallowed us up. But we escaped. And for that we praise you with all our hearts this day. Through our Messiah, Jesus Christ. Amen.